But of course, like I said, we will have turnover. The benefit of the rentals is on acquisition, you gotta do all this work to get it rent ready. But once there's turnover, I'm a little bit too much of a nice guy, so I don't charge as for as much stuff as I should. But the cleaning is basically, you know, they it's their responsibility. So like I just had a turnover and I went by to check it one time and that was it. And um, the tenant did all the cleaning. And so I, I, it's the first time I think I've ever not done any cleaning myself. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Greg Gaudet. And today we're learning about a lot of his experiences leading up to his recent achievement of financial independence through cash-flowing real estate. First off, I'll give you a little heads up. We learn about his early life, losing his father, becoming addicted to drugs, going to jail, having a lot of negative experiences and wondering how he's ever going to get himself, get the ship right and get himself to the place that he wants to be and the place that he actually got himself living on passive cash flow, not trading hours for dollars. We go through his process of acquiring his first property, accumulating his portfolio and building a very important connection with someone he ended up partnering with. And this might be a name that you recognize. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you wait for that, but the name that you'll probably recognize in the real estate space. They partnered, did a number of deals together. And now once again, he's living on passive cash flow from building up his portfolio. He tells us his unit count, how much he's cash flowing today, what he's living on. Great stuff all in Maui, Hawaii. Very impressive, very interesting market to be investing in. He has an inspirational story and he digs deep for us today. So you're gonna learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on commercial, multifamily, and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts, five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see your ratings, your, your reviews, and I get to see that you're engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Greg Gaudet, and we're learning very powerful lessons about his experience going from rock bottom to now achieving financial independence through cash flowing real estate. Without any further ado, here we go. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do? And then we'll dive a bit into your story, you know, going back a ways. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show, Jailer. I am a full-time real estate investor. I manage my uh, personal small portfolio of rental properties here in Maui, Hawaii. And I do some flips and wholesales. Uh, not a lot, but um, just enough to produce more capital to continue scaling the uh, rental portfolio. Great. Okay. And we'll talk a little bit more about your real estate investing there in Maui a little further down the show. But first, I want to dive a bit into your personal story and and your experience of you know, recovering from addiction and homelessness and I suppose, I don't know if you put it this way, but redemption, your redemption arc or, well, you know, however you put it. So take us back and, and tell us about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Miami, Florida, and I, I had kind of a picture perfect childhood. Um, my dad was a real estate developer, a commercial real estate developer, and just had really the ideal, I'd say upper middle class kind of growing up childhood experience until I was 14 years old and my world was shattered when my dad died of cancer. And I took it really hard. I spiraled out of control. I think I, I think it created a void in me and I, I went out, you know, I didn't know how to deal with this kind of emotional pain first off being 14 years old. And yeah. anyways, yeah, the point is like, I just got into like, I wanted to go out and get in trouble. I actually wanted to just get in trouble, do drugs, drink alcohol and, you know, escape reality. And so ended up getting addicted to prescription painkillers, starting with Percocets, worked up to Oxycontin. Ultimately, um, you know, that it ended up me up on heroin and injecting IV use of heroin and, and Oxycontin. And I don't have to tell you that ended badly. <laughs> you know, of course, it took me to all kinds of lows in my life and it never seemed to fill that void and, and, and numb that pain for more than maybe a couple hours. And it, it led me to a few of my kind of like really textbook like woes that are really tangible examples are being homeless for a period of time, kind of fancy version of homeless. You know, I would sleep in my car or at a friend's house or at my mom's house or spend a little, a little bit of time in jail overdosing. I, I was fortunate to be at my mom's house when I overdosed and she found me and resuscitated me. But, you know, some of those things that... And, and, Ultimately, also had a period of time where I was um, suicidal. I I was. It just got to the point where I I couldn't picture having a life worth living. I had squandered. I felt like I had squandered everything. And I. It's not that I didn't want to live. It's just that I couldn't picture any possible way that I could move past the the damage that I had done in my life. You know, from a criminal record to just struggling to try to get off of drugs and recover. It was so hard. Um, and I just thought there's, even if I could recover and, and get past this addiction, I don't see how I could possibly have a life worth living. Cause I just couldn't imagine, you know, working 40, 50, 60 hours a week for the rest of my life to barely make ends meet. And to me, that just wasn't any quality of life. And I, you know, again, like I couldn't, I didn't even think I was capable of doing that to begin with anyway. So Fast forward, uh, just after years and years of of trying and failing and trying and failing and relapsing, ultimately did finally get recovered and was able to build the life of my dreams now. So um, thankfully through real estate, I'm like the dream, my life dream was to not, like I said, have to work for somebody else for the rest of my life. Um, to me, that was, it's just, it's not it's no quality of life. You know, we spend so much of our time at work. It's like, it just doesn't make sense to me. I still don't understand it. So thanks to real estate, I've been able to escape that. Yeah. And, and build the life of my dreams. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm very glad that you, you know, managed to turn and turn it around and get into recovery and, and also, you know, achieve the life of your dreams. And, and you know, thank you for sharing, uh, you know, that, that story and experience with us, but, or not, not, but rather, and, I'd really like to get into, especially that initial period where, you know, I don't know exactly where you started building your portfolio, but a lot of folks out there say, Hey, I don't, I don't have money. I don't have knowledge. I don't have experience. 
how do I get going? And and you did it. You said, heck, you probably started with even less than than most people do. So tell us about that, how you how you got started. Yeah, well, it took time. I mean, it's not like right when I, you know, started recovering, I instantly okay. was building real estate. Of for course. Didn't, didn't yeah, a long yeah. time. I worked for a long time. I I read a book and this was probably shortly after the session, probably 2012, 2011, 2012. I read a book called Start Late, Finish Rich. And I mean, it's pretty dated now. I think a lot of the, I don't know how much it would apply today, but the principles are the same, right? And basically the main gist of that book was save money, you know, and, and cut out your $5 a day at Starbucks and put that into savings and then buy, you know, invested or whether it was, I don't remember exact examples I used, but I think a lot of it was, did touch on real estate a lot. But in any case, that book shifted my mindset from earn, spend, earn, spend to earn and how much of my earnings can I save? And so that, that it, from that point, I, um, which was really the point where I actually started working and not making a great living or anything, but I made probably pretty much average kind of, you know, incomes from around anywhere from like 40 to $60,000 a year. And I took the principles from that book. And as I earned a little more over the years, I would continue living on the same amount and ultimately just saved a lot. And so that gave me the opportunity. And I want to stress that a lot because I mean, there's a million different ways to get started investing in real estate and everybody's got their own journey and what's right for them. And a lot of people just go out and find somebody else to, to, you know, partner with or fund the deals, which I also do. But the way that I got started was by saving and living frugally and, and saving. So I saved up, I think I had around, saved around 30 something thousand dollars when I started and bought my first rental property. I bought a low end, cheap rental property. I got a really good deal on it and it fit the Burr criteria. So I bought it for $70,000 and it appraised for 95. It was worth about a hundred, but appraised a little low for, for 95. Um, and it rented for 1600 at the time and it's a condo. So there's maintenance fees, but it cash flowed around 500 a month. And so it was a good deal and it showed me that it was possible. And uh, I continued on that path. I kept saving and, and I was saving so hard. And by that time, I also had, I'd worked so hard at my day job that I was able to increase my income. And so I was making enough that I could really save a lot more. And that is really one of the things that allowed me to continue scaling. So I, as much as like, you know, for some people, the right opportunity is going out and, and focusing fully on investing and finding ways to use other people's money. There's also people out there that the right way to do it is to work hard at your job and, you know, use that as a way to, to as a temporary sacrifice, so to say. And so that, that's kind of the route that I took after about, I believe, let's see, I bought three units in the first year and all in that same complex. It was low end, cheap building. And I worked really hard at getting, you know, good deals there that made sense and allowed me to continue buying. And shortly after, I think it was around my second year, sometime during my second year, I met Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets, who nice. had moved to Maui. And I was really strategic in the way that I approached him. Uh, I knew he was living here and, um, and I just wanted to connect with him, right? I just wanted to bring him value. So I, first off, when we met at a meetup and I told him I was going to take him surfing and, 
I had heard him say on, you know, cause he used to be on the podcast and he would talk about wanting to surf. And so I, uh, when I met him, I told him I was going to take him surfing. I've been surfing my whole life and I gave lessons when I was younger and everything. So he was stoked about that. And I just wanted to connect with him, learn from him, bring him value. And I, I didn't know what I was looking for in return, but except for somebody really experienced that I could learn from and kind of sort of be a mentor of mine. And he was, I guess, impressed with me, which I, I was, you know, it's really surprising to me because I was this total newbie with these three cheap little, you know, low end condos. And obviously this is a guy that could work with anybody he wants to, but he saw, I guess he saw my drive and my, my commitment. And he asked me to start flipping properties with him. He wanted to, he wasn't flipping at the time because he had moved to Maui and he missed it and whatever. And so he asked me if I wanted to partner with him to flip, flip houses in Maui. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. But like, why me? And he, um, I guess he just, like I said, he saw my, my drive and my commitment. You know, I had been emailing and anytime I, you know, I was looking at all the, you know, just doing all the legwork of, uh, watching the market and looking for deals. And so I would come across really good deals, but I wasn't really actively out there looking for a partner to flip with or anything. So I would just email these things to him and be like, Hey, look at this property. Like this can make a killer cash flow. It's $2 million and it could have been a great deal for him. And I sent him a bunch of stuff like that. And I thought I was nagging him and being annoying. I mean, I wasn't doing it every day or anything like that, but like maybe once a month. But he, it turns out that he appreciated that and um, he saw that in my, my work ethic, I guess. And so we flipped properties together for about a year before he had to he's focus on his big mobile home business. Uh, he's buying mobile home parks. So he had to step away to focus more on that. But it was a huge turning point for me because it, it gave me a lot of credibility. I learned a lot. I started flipping, which I actually didn't really have plans to start flipping. I just wanted to buy rentals. And so... I'm really glad I did though, because that is one of the things that allowed me to leave my day job. It also allowed me to scale my rentals a lot faster because like we were talking about before the show is I am not one to maximize other people's money and try and, you know, leverage everything to the max. I like to grow at my own kind of slow scale and use my own money. And I say that I'm sort of a burr investor, but I haven't really done a whole lot of full cycle burrs. I generally keep my equity in the property and do a flip to get the capital to buy the next rental. So that's just what I'm comfortable with. And it, I sleep well at night and I know I've got a lot of equity and cushion and I've got enough cash flow. And sure, I could cash out refi and go double the size of my portfolio if I, you know, took the equity out of all my rentals, but I don't feel like I need to. I'm, I'm comfortable with um, the scale or rate at which I've scaled and happy with what I've built. Hey, that's great. And that's what it's all about. And, and you're really looking, you're doing the calculation around your current debt, what the interest is, what your current cash flow is, and your best way to, in your own judgment, optimize your wealth generation and preservation, right? Because you're thinking about the potential downside when you look at the amount of equity you have right now as opposed to that you can pull it out but then you'd be more leveraged and you know so you're you're running your own calculation uh, as we all are with our own properties so when you partnered up with Brandon to do these flips you mentioned that you learned a lot in that process and that's what I'd love to dig into is things that you learned because I imagine it's there's yeah there's flipping lessons in there but there's probably also business ownership investing and entrepreneurship lessons in there because Brandon's been a serial entrepreneur in, in several businesses over the years. And I imagine there's 
quite a bit that you picked up there as well. So let's dig into some of those lessons you learned working with Brandon. Yeah. Okay. Well, a, a couple of things that I think stand out in my mind were one, this is no secret. I think like there's just, there's a difference when you're learning it one-on-one real world and, and seeing it applied to our actual business rather than just um, reading about it in a book. But mm-hmm. one of the things was hiring your weaknesses. Um, you know, he was, he's really big on that and also knowing your weaknesses and your strengths. Right. And like, you know, the whole like visionary, what is it? Visionary and executor kind of role. And, and he, he's very aware that he's the visionary and he, he comes up with all these great, you know, plans and how we're going to do things. And then has somebody else like me that's actually out there making it happen and, and taking the steps to, to produce the results. And so again, I, I wish I had something more profound to say, but really it was, there's, there's just something about having that, like having already knowing those lessons, but then being in a real world example and, and seeing how, you know, when we're, um, you know, getting ready to s- sell this flip, right. And there's, we got to do, you know, we need to arrange the furniture. So it, you know, show is better or whatever. And him saying, well, instead of you and I trying to figure this out, let's call the stager and have her come, you know, whatever. Because <laughs> I'm the type where, I, you know, like I said, I was, I'm very, uh, I don't want to say frugal, but like I, 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 I do think I'm, I'm kind of a frugal in a good sense, you know, careful with what I spend. And I almost to a fault where I do try to do more than I should. Like I still do this all the time where when, when we're selling a flip, I'm there cleaning all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, cause every time we will hire a professional cleaner, but I'm still there going, you know, they, they do one deep cleaning when we finish the renovation and then we're doing showings for a week, two, three weeks, whatever it is. I'm there cleaning between every, like almost every day because after every showing it's getting dirty. Right. And I want us to get the maximum return and you know i should probably just hire a cleaner and pay them you know an extra 50 bucks just go by and sweep every day whatever it is but i just want the place to be perfect and and um reality is it's probably not the best use of my time (laughs) (laughs) so you were telling me about that before we started recording with your properties that you owned you were self-managing at the time i don't know if you still self-manage your properties but you were going by and cleaning them between like rentals, maybe you you know had a turn or whatever. You were doing a lot of that work yourself. What percentage are you are you hiring folks now? Have you made that shift? Like I, I would I would bet that you did make a shift, although you know maybe not a hundred percent to outsourcing everything. So, what are you hiring for now? I I'm still very I'm not like I said I'm not a huge huge on scaling. So in terms of business operations, I don't have like VAs making phone calls and stuff. I should have a VA for some things, but that's one of the things on my to-do list. But I have to get over the whole mentality of like, no one will do it as good as me, right? <laughs> I still <laughs> right. got to get over that one. Yeah. But um, yeah, in terms of the business, I'm. it's pretty much me. And I have a, a partner that I flip with, David, and we pretty much handle everything. I, I do the finding the deals. And for them, pretty much most of the hiring the contractors and uh, managing the contractors and all of that. And he puts in the funds for the flips and he's also a broker. So he'll list on the disposition. In terms of the rentals, I, I still self-manage all of my units. I put a lot of work into finding good tenants. So 
there's always turnover. But for the most part, I feel like because I put in the work up front to screen my tenants really well and explain things really thoroughly, make it very clear what we're strict about. And, and I try to give as much as I can to make them happy and appreciate living with us. I believe that that makes my job easier in the long run. But of course, like I said, we will have turnover. The benefit of the rentals is on acquisition, you got to do all this work to get it rent ready. But once there's turnover, I'm a little bit too much of a nice guy, so I don't charge us for as much stuff as I should. But the cleaning is basically, you know, they it's their responsibility. So like I just had a turnover and I went by to check it one time and that was it. And um, the tenant did all the cleaning. And so I, I, it's the first time I think I've ever not done any cleaning myself. But I'm just like, no, I've got boundaries now. It's not worth my time. I, I don't need to do this. And she, she did, she actually did a good job because most of the time they think it's clean. And I'm like, you know, it looks like you ran a broom maybe, but <laughs> not, not a deep clean. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. I'm pretty, I'm still pretty hands on. You know, I, I, I have the time freedom, I would say be able to choose to, if I want to waste my time cleaning one of my rentals, I get to do that. And I do that, you know, there is value in that too, especially in like some of our properties that are, I've got two properties that are four units. And so there's three other tenants there. So them seeing me out there, like I'll be on my hands and knees scrubbing the floors sometimes, you know, like, especially, like I said, on acquisition, when I can't just charge, you know, it's not the last tenant's responsibility. I want them to see that I'm not just some snooty landlord. You know, I want to be a good landlord. I want my tenants to appreciate me. And I want them to know that I'm, I'm not squeezing them for every dollar. You got to try to keep everything below market rent. And uh, I do as much as I can if they're, if they're like, Hey, can we get a, you know, a cover over the patio here or whatever I can do? You know, if it's reasonable, I'll make it happen. And, and I'll, I want them to see that I'm, I'm out here working and I care. Nice. Nice. I like that. So you were telling me also before we started recording that you recently, within I think you said two years, achieved a, a level of financial independence the way you would consider it, that you could, that you can live on passive cash flow. You don't have to go out and flip properties in order to you know meet your expenses and all of that. How does that change your thinking? Because you're, I mean, you're you're a young guy. You got a, li- a lot of life ahead of you. You got a, I think a, a fairly young kid. You got family there. How does that? change your perspective on, you know, the future and moving forward and, and you know, what you're going to do. Yeah, it's, it's huge. My lifestyle has drastically changed. And, <laughs> and yeah, it's, I've really gone, I don't want to say that I work less or that I'm less motivated or anything like that, but I work different now. It's, you know, there's, there's a, a comfort factor that is like, I don't, you know, before, I had to. I was like, I will not go back to being, I, I call it being a slave when we talk about working for somebody for, you know, again, making ends meet for 60 years of our life. To me, that's, it's pretty close to slavery, right? And so to me, that's just, I don't want to be a slave for the rest of my life. And, and I could, that was just not an option, right? Like for the longest time, I didn't, I wanted to escape that, but I didn't need to. And, and it was, it got to a point where I needed to, like I could not. I needed to um, create financial independence. And um, now that I have, I would say really, it's, yeah, in the last two years, it's gotten to the point. And then especially in the last, and this year in 2022, since the last 
three, I closed on three rentals on the same day back in maybe five or six months ago. And those three really got my cash flow to the point where before those three, I was making basically, I'll, I just like to share numbers because when I listen to podcasts, sure. I'm always like, well, how much do you make off of those 50,000 units? Cause if it's like <laughs> you make 30,000 a year from 50,000 units, I don't want that. Big deal. Yeah. So anyways, I, I, I like to share numbers just because, you know, to me, the numbers are no reflectional quality of person I am. They're just, they help to show people like kind of what, what is achievable, what, what you can do with these sort of like what you could might expect if you were to scale to 20 units, for example. So for me, I have 17 doors now. And before I closed on these last three units, I was right around six figures and net cash flow. And then these kind of got these last three closings almost doubled that. Um, cause one of them was a four unit. Um, so it was seven total new units or I'm sorry, 19. How many do I have now? 19. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I love it was 11. So it's seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 14, 17, 17. Okay. 17. Um, 17 doors total. And those, so those, those increased my net cash flow by about 60% or so. And so that kind of got me to the point where I have enough to live comfortably, not, you know, any fancy lifestyle or anything, but I can, I can be totally fine living off those and even still save a little bit to continue investing, maybe buy one more rental a year or something like that. And so I'm still doing flips and wholesales. Because I do want to, I still would like to double my cash flow. And also because once we, you know, I have to be productive in order to be fulfilled. Um, and I just love my job. So I, I do still do it, but, um, it's just, it's, there's a peace of mind and a sense of security of, of just knowing like if I don't get a flip for the next year, especially with where the market is now, right? Cause I'm so like I was mentioning, I, I I'm, I'm very conservative and I, and I, we also touched on the downside. I'm big on looking at like, what's our potential downside, right? I may be wrong, but a lot of the stuff I see out there, I, I, it seems like I see these people doing these deals where I'm like, I feel like you're only looking at the possible upside, you know, like the highest comp was 1.8 million. So we're going to buy this one for 1.6 <laughs> and, you know, we're going to make 200 and I'm just like, eh. You might. And most of the time they have, most of the time they've made double what they projected over the last year. Right? Cause like it's just been this crazy market. But, um, I don't know. I just, I'm, and I wish I had bought every flip I looked at over the last year or two because I ended up selling for just ridiculous numbers. But I, I'm happy that I did it because I still stick to those principles. And like, if the downside, if I can't stomach the downside, it's not worth doing the deal. And so I, I'm big on that looking at the downside. And if the downside is too big of a risk for me, I don't have to do the deal. And while the market's in this funky limbo right now, um, interest rates just increased a lot over the last six months and and sales have really slowed down. And I don't necessarily think we're going to see a, a drop in prices, but I don't know. Nobody knows. So I, I don't want to be the guy that goes all in on this huge flip or three or four flips at a time. And then, you know, those are the ones that put us out of business sort of thing. So yeah, the cash flow and the, the financial freedom allows me to just say, you know, I don't have to do a deal. It's okay. I can wait and, until I'm comfortable with which direction we're going. I love that. And you've reached a point where you can really focus primarily on wealth preservation rather than wealth creation, wealth generation, accumulation, however you want to look at it. You've, you've hit a different level that I think uh, a lot of folks hopefully you know, get to where you're focused on keeping what you have, continuing to grow it, of course, but it's a higher priority 
to keep it than to keep going for you know the next deal, the next deal, which is which is awesome. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Greg. So I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? That's a tough one. Like I was telling you before the show, I, I really been throwing this around in my head and thinking about it for the last day or two. And I wanted to come up with something so profound. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just going to be real. I think the, the best now for, there's been a couple. There were, there was a condo that I bought for 30,000 that was a screaming deal. It was worth about a hundred. It was pretty nasty. And there was a whole lot behind that deal on why it was 30,000, but that was a great deal. But really, I think if it's the single best investment I've made, it's, I'm going to give a property because I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to keep it simple here. And it's going to be the, the first single family house that I buy. It's actually a four unit house, but it qualifies as a res- residential home. Like I said, I bought a lot of condos. So I bought seven condos before I actually moved into residential. Here in Maui, we're expensive market. So um, our median home price is $1.2 million. So um, there's a very big difference between buying these $100,000 condos and buying a home. So that house I is a, like I said, it's in Kihei, which is a beach town here, very popular beach town. And it's a four unit house. It has a detached cottage and then there's three uh, separate units in the main house. And I bought it for 850,000. At the time it was worth just under a million. I, I think it probably would have sold for like 975. So I almost didn't buy it. In fact, like the buyer or the seller canceled during escrow. I Ooh. asked him after I got my inspections and everything, this was off market. So there's no realtors. It's just me and him. And I, I got a home inspection. I got a roof inspection. I found out the roof was, had maybe five years left on it. And I, I told him, I was like, Hey, there's a few, you know, things that actually there were some things also that there was supposed to be this major plumbing repair and it was supposed to have been mostly paid for already. And it turns out that it wasn't, it was a $20,000 repair. So it's a lot of money that he, you know, committed to and told me was paid for. And anyways, there was a few things that came up and I said, Hey, listen, um, these, here's the deal, blah, 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 blah. I would like to, you know, split this cost. There's about 50,000 in work that we need. And I would like to split it with you basically. If you'll cover 25 and we'll just take it off the price or whatever. And his response was, no, thanks. Um, not interested in any of that. Let's cancel escrow. And he told escrow cancel the sale. And I was like, uh, you can't do that. <laughs> and, um, and I also was kind of on the fence, you know, like I, I fought for, it, I made it happen. Um, and ultimately it was about two weeks of him saying, well, what are the, what are the options? If I cancel escrow, how much do you want me to pay you off to make you whole or breaching contract and all that? And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, but I was seriously contemplating, almost didn't buy the deal because I think it was something like, 
82% of of the ARV is what my total investment was going to be. And I'm very strict. And like I said, uh, if it's not the right deal, I just won't do it. And to me, my cutoff is 80%. And this was 82. And I was was so close to not doing it. But I had done that in the past on another um, similar three-unit property that I actually wholesaled to Brandon Turner. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I wholesaled that one. I sold, wholesaled to him for um, 580, I think. And today it's worth like a million. And that was just two or three years ago. Anyways, I, I really I always regretted that. And ultimately, I ended up buying this property. Point of the whole story is I'm really happy I did partially because the market really, you know, had a lot to do with it. But today it's worth about 1.3. And I've only had it for about a year. So it's worth about 1.3. And the gross rents are about 9,500 a month. And, um, you know, being in a high priced market like this, it's kind of hard to hit that 1% rent to price ratio, but that, that one cash flow as well. So yeah, that's my best investment. Nice. <laughs> Long answer. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> it's all good. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Bitcoin. Now <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm kind of joking. I mean, I actually, I do have a, a small investment in cryptocurrency. But um, actually, I, I will. That, that probably is the worst. I was going to tell you it was a flip that we bought that we only made $50,000 on, on a million dollar flip. We bought for 900 and sold for 1.2. And we closed on that flip actually April 1st of 2020. Wow. So um, yeah. And I had been telling Brandon like, hey, I think we should cancel this thing. There's like this pandemic, you know, this uh, this this virus thing coming out <laughs> of China. And he, and the stock market's crashing. He's like, no, 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 we're good. And, and then we closed on it right when everything was all heck was breaking loose. And, um, you know, we would have done really well on it if we had known and waited a few more months, but, um, we sold it in the middle of everything being shut down. We only made 50,000, but that was still profitable. The really the worst investment for me was taking my focus away from real estate. And I, for a short period back around 2017, I got into, you know, we were in this big Bitcoin boom and I got into trying to day trade cryptocurrencies. And, and I, I had a lot of good trades for a while, but when the market turned, I was trying to catch the falling knife. And, you know, I didn't lose my shirt or anything because I didn't put more than I was willing to lose into it. I think I put like 30,000 total, which is a lot of money to me. And I'm, you know, especially back then it was, but I was okay with losing that much money based on the potential upside that there there was. Um, and if I hadn't been trying to day trade it and taking my focus, like, again, I should have been focused on finding rental properties and just let that crypto investment do its thing, which is what I do now. I don't touch it. And it's, it's, it's right now, Bitcoin's way down. So I'm probably about break even, but you know, I'll probably sell it the next time there's a big Bitcoin boom and um, get some profits out of it. But not a great return considering the time and the money and, and how long that money has been tied up for. So um, I think the, the moral of that whole story is I'm big on focus on your strength and what what's your focus and stay in your lane. And sure, I put some money in stocks and I put some money in Bitcoin, whatever, but my focus is real estate. That's what I spend my time and 90% of my capital gets invested in. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I hate to kind of double dip on this, but I think it is kind of what I was just touching on is, is remembering what my focus is and staying in my lane. You know, like, like recently I've been really distracted with thinking about, Oh, I should, 
you know, sell three or four of those condos and maybe 1031 them into an apartment building, right? But that's, even though it's the same business, commercial and multifamily is a different business from single family rentals, right? Like it's, it just operates from different, there's a lot of differences. And so, and I'm not an expert in that area of the business. And I really need to focus on, I am good at buying rentals. I'm good at doing flips here in Maui. And the more I do, the better I get at it. And I don't want to get the shiny object syndrome and and get distracted. And for a lot of people, that is the right way to go. But for me, I don't need to scale to a thousand units and have a big flashy portfolio. I'm happy with my 17 units. You know, I would love to have like 30 units and make, you know, two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars a year in cash flow and then be able to just spend my time working on the things I choose. So uh, yeah, it's focus. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? So they can, let's see, uh, we've got social media. So on on Instagram, it's uh, my social media is investor.greg. So again, that's Instagram and it's at investor.greg. I don't check there a whole lot. They can shoot me an email that's probably the best way. Uh, my email is greg at mauihomebuyers.com. Again, it's greg, G-R-E-G, at mauihomebuyers.com. And I'm sure we'll probably get it in the show notes. And then I'll, uh, they can also check out our website, which is www.mauihomebuyers.com. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.